morning, brothers and sisters, family and friends of the Inland Empire. Uh, we are honored to be asked to share God's word with you this morning, or perhaps it's in the afternoon if you're watching then. Well, whatever it is, we're grateful that you're with us, uh, whether you're a long-standing member or visiting us for the first time virtually. We're happy uh, that you're with us uh, today. I want to give a special thanks to the Sweeneys for reaching out to us, to inviting us to speak uh, to uh, this group of disciples. And so we're longtime friends with them from back in New England days and have um, been friends uh, throughout the years. And so uh, they're fantastic people. So the title of today's lesson is Finding Strength in God. Now, it's been quite a year, has it not? And I won't get into all the details you know, uh, but you know, one of the things I think about is that what was normal in January is not normal any longer. We've had to adjust. But the challenge for us as Christians is even though we have these changing things around us, we've got to learn how to thrive even through adversity. The challenge is what will be our fuel? What will drive us past these inevitable challenges that each of us will face individually and collectively as we really strive to do greater things for God together? And so today I want to talk about finding strength in God. We're going to begin in Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 8. So you can be turning in your paper Bibles if you have those, uh, or on your phones or iPads or whatever you have. But let's read together here. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. You know, the writer here, you know, is explaining what God desires from us most. And the temptation even back then was to let our performance, you know, the things that we can do and bring and have be the thing that d d defines our, our walk with God. But through this, through Micah, God explains to us that, that, hey, I'm just looking for you to treat each other well, to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with me. There's nothing like walking with God. You know, the sense of closeness when you're truly close to God is amazing. That feeling of friendship, that feeling that God is right next to you in all of the challenges. You enjoy things together. And when we're there, everything in life just feels so much better. Food tastes better. You love your friends more. You love your spouse more. But in fact, you actually love yourself more. The challenges in life when we're here truly feel light and momentary as it, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you're here, you don't want that sense of your existence in life to pass. But if you're not here, you long to be here. We all want to live in peace, 
And of course, some people strive to find that peace politically, but we, what we know is that peace comes from within. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a mental thing. And we long for peace. And when we feel like we can't get there, we get what I call the, the disses. Uh, we get discouraged. We get disillusioned, dissatisfied, disoriented, discombobulated, disgruntled. Sometimes we get disrespectful. Sometimes we're even dishonest about what's really going on with us. And when you add these up, sometimes it can lead us to discontinue in our faith, thus disqualifying ourselves for the inheritance of reigning with Jesus forever. And none of us want that. But inevitably, the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint, and we all hit walls. So what can we do when we are here? What can we do when we hit that wall spiritually? Well, my brothers and sisters, we need to find strength in God. And today I want to compare and contrast two responses of men facing different challenges in their lives, the first two kings of Israel. And so we're going to look at King Saul, who was the first king of Israel first. And just a little bit of background on King Saul. You can go back and read this on your own. I definitely love for people, I leave a lot of scriptures um, in my messages because I want people to go back and read your Bible on your own. A little bit of background, in, in 1 Samuel 8, uh, the nation of Israel, of course, asks for a king. And uh, sometimes we don't know what we're asking for. They thought it was something good, but God warned them that this will be a challenging thing for you. And so in 1 Samuel 9, verses uh, 15 through 10, sorry, it's verses 15 through um, the, the rest of the chapter, Saul is actually chosen by God to be the king. And of course, Saul himself is shocked. He's hiding among the baggage. In 1 Samuel 11, Saul actually, as king, enters his first battle and he has his first victory as king for the nation. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we enter into Saul's second battle he faced. And we're going to read here together in 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. And he said, Bring the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. <clears throat> excuse me. Just as he had finished making the offerings, Saul, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philippines, Phil, Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Whew, there's a lot that we can glean about how to not walk with God here. You know, Saul makes some critically wrong decisions that are fueled really by two things. One, his fear. And then number two, that fear leading to impatience. You know, Samuel and Saul had an arrangement that Samuel would come to the battle. 
We don't hear of it in this particular passage, but it's implied in Saul's response. Samuel doesn't come at the appointed time and the men start to scatter. You know, fear will lead you to do strange things at times. I remember as a child, I had this weird fascination with bald men. And I remember um, I was a latchkey kid and my parents had babysitters for us. And I remember one night while my parents were at work, sneaking away from the babysitter and going into my bathroom and shaving my, my hair because I wanted to be bald. I wanted to see what that was looking like. And um, I didn't get a chance to finish it. And what ended up happening is I just had this huge patch of bald spot right here in my head. And I was afraid that I was going to get in trouble. So what I did is I took toothpaste and I tried to glue the hair back on my head and um, hopped in bed and pull the, the sheets up to my head thinking that my mom would think that I was asleep. But lo and behold, I forgot to take out the trash and my mom woke me up and said, can you take out the trash? And as I was doing that, she noticed the hair and I grew up in a, what I would call a whooping household. And I got whooped that night um, because, you know, I was in the wrong, but strange, you know, strange things can happen when you're afraid. You know, fear can be the thing that leads to us, leads us to be impatient with God. The Torah clearly taught that uh, who should offer the sacrifice, and it wasn't the king. You know, Samuel was a Levite while Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Levites were the priestly tribe, and they were the only one permitted to offer the sacrifices. And you can see this in Exodus chapter 12 or Numbers chapter 3. But fear will lead us past our God-ordained limits, and we all have them spiritually, emotionally, even physically. Saul's fear led him to be impatient and he cut corners in trusting God. And his fear led him to take matters into his own hands. You can think you're turning to God at times, but in reality, be far away from God. You know, when Samuel confronts Saul, Saul responds in 1 Samuel 15, 20. He says, but I did obey the Lord. There's a quote that I heard, um, I don't know where who's it's attributed to, but it says, fear is false evidence appearing real. And so when that happens, when, when we're so filled with fear and we cut corners, our evidence can appear real. And so we decide to miss the meetings when the evidence says, I'm not going to get as much out of it as I used to, or we can decide to stop giving because the evidence says that God won't provide for me, perhaps, and I'm, maybe I need to take care of myself. You know, we stop sharing our faith because the evidence in our minds say that no one is open. We make compromises, perhaps, in our dating relationships, singles, college students, because of the evidence of our feelings clearly say we love each other. Why not? You know, we stop believing each other when we sin because the evidence says, maybe you're not worth my investment of, of, of time and love because you're not changing. On and on and on. We do this all while claiming to be Christians when the scriptures clearly t give us direction on how to behave through all of those kinds of challenges. Now, I can't speak of what happens in the Inland Empire, but here in Phoenix, 
you know, we've had discussions about how some people don't read their scriptures in reality because we know what it teaches. And we would rather claim ignorance as an excuse for our behavior. But what the challenge for all of us is, is, is in God's eyes, there is no excuse. It's in the Bible. We've got to go and read it and have lordship hearts that are willing to obey. We've got to not put ourselves in a place that Saul put himself, where he trusted exclusively in his performance and in men. He was putting his his hope in, in, in Samuel. We've got to stop making decisions based out of fear. We've, we've got to allow the circumstances, can't allow the circumstances to dictate the level of patience, but instead learn to be content waiting for the Lord's deliverance. Let's t- take a look at David. We're going to read here, starting in 1 Samuel 23. The Bible reads here, I'll give you a moment to get there. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. You know, a little bit of background about David. We know that he's the second king of Israel. He was an anointed king in First in Samuel 16. He has an incredible battle with um, Goliath in First Samuel 17, and he overcomes, um, you know, the Philistine giant. And Saul becomes jealous of David and tries to kill him several times, several ways. He throws a spear at him twice. But then he makes him commander of of his army to fight the Philistines, hoping that David might actually fall in battle. Of course, God blesses David and he's very successful, which makes Saul even more afraid of him. And then he decides to draw him closer by offering his daughter in marriage. And David initially rejects this, but then Saul says, hey, I'm going to offer you my second daughter. And initially David rejects that as well. But however, Saul, knowing that David was a warrior at heart, entices him to bring 100 Philistine foreskins. A strange motivation, of course, in our our modern thinking. But David jumps at the chance to fight God's enemies. And after uh, Saul's pursuit of David intensifies, he openly tells his son, Jonathan, and others that he's going to kill David. And so David flees with the help of Jonathan. Chapter 22 in 1 Samuel says that all those who were with David as he fleed were in distress, in debt, or discontented. They gathered around him. You know, how about that for your family group? Saul continues to pursue David and was uh, had him trapped in 1 Samuel 22. And Saul even kills the priest he perceived to be against him and, and helping David. And at the beginning of chapter 23, David rescues the people of Keilah, but then he realizes that Saul is still pursuing him. And he he asks God, are the people of Keilah going to give me up? And God says, yes. And even as David is trying to help people, man, it, it feels like no one is for him. And so we arrive at the passage that we just read. At this point, David's life was fleeing from danger, was fleeing from those who were supposed to love him. 
was fleeing from those he gave his heart to. Do you ever feel like you're just surviving the trials of life? Like you're just trying to make it through the day? You know, in chapter 24, he eludes uh, Saul and even has a chance to kill him, but refuses to kill the Lord's anointed. And David literally felt trapped between God and man. On one side, Saul was trying to kill him and he wanted to defend himself. But on the other side, God's law kept him from defending himself by killing Saul. You know, he did not want to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. There are times as Christians that we can feel like God's command traps us. My feelings tell me this, but God's word tells me this. And But my feelings are strong. And we feel trapped. Well, what was David's way out this time? Well, we'll go back to that passage is he simply found strength in God through Jonathan. Now, we don't know what Jonathan said exactly. But what we know is that even a man after God's own heart, David, needed help to find the right fuel to continue on. So let's take a look at how David David handled his fears and we'll look at his patience during this time. There are several passages that are attributed to David during this time of Saul pursuing him. Psalm 18, Psalm 34, 52, 54, 56, 57, 59, 63. But we're going to look at another Psalm, Psalm 55, another Psalm of David that sort of helps us to understand David's heart when experiencing uh, the challenges of life. In Psalm 55, verse 1, the Bible reads here, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying. Because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. This is how David felt, but here is his response, starting in verse 16. As for me, I call to to God and the Lord saves me. I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the, from the battle waged against me. Even though my many oppose me, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. What did David do when he was afraid? He prayed earnestly to God to fight for him. You know, what are you going through right now that makes you afraid? Is it the political environment? Is it the racial tensions? Is it the economy? Is it perhaps I'll have to finish my college career online and I I wasn't expecting that? I'll have to finish my high school career online and I wasn't expecting that? I've lost my job. One of my relatives, someone close to me, has just tested positive. There's all kinds of challenges around us. It's going to tempt us to be afraid. And it's going to tempt us to be impatient with God. How did David David handle the temptation to be impatient? 
Let's read Psalm 37 together. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. You know, David in this incredible psalm says, listen, you know, don't fret. It won't always be like this. These people won't always be here. And David was able to wait patiently with those words for God. You know, through David's suffering and subsequent prayers, we learn so much about how to handle adversity. This is something I've had to learn over and over again. Certainly, I've loved the 28 years I've been a disciple. There have been so many incredible things that God has done and things I've seen and people I've met but I remember some in 1994 going on a mission team to the to plant the church in Pittsburgh. I was converted in Philadelphia in 1993, and um, you know, going to to Pittsburgh was just this glorious thing. We're going to plant a church. We're going to help people become Christians. And I remember just sharing my faith faith relentlessly for hours uh, every single day, and getting people to study the Bible. And this went on for months, and I could not get anyone to become a Christian. I was so discouraged, but I had to learn to pray and I had to learn to find contentment in just doing the work. Many, many years later, I remember this incredible tragedy happening when we had moved back to Philadelphia. A good friend of mine who I was in a discipling relationship suffered a home invasion and he was killed. He was beaten to death in the next room um, where his kids were, were hearing it. And I just, I'll never forget the, the wailing of the Christians when they realized, when they, were, when they learned of June's death. And we had to fight through that and try to make sense of it. And one of the things I learned through prayer was that Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have trouble in this life, even for a Christian. You know, we have two incredible sons. We have an 18-year-old, Riley, who's now um, graduated high school. He's a disciple. He's been a disciple for almost two years now. Um, but then we have an 11-year-old, Miles, and there's seven years between their ages, but we didn't plan it that way. We've had a series of four miscarriages between those two births. And I just remember the pain of those losses, and I remember just wrestling with God and my wife and I talking and wrestling with each other and crying together. And we came to the conviction that God never promised that we could have children or we could have the amount of children that we, we want to have. And that it's an honor to be given a soul to guide through this life and hopefully give them back to God. It's been a challenging 2020 for all of us. But here in the church in Phoenix, we've experienced four deaths. And some of them have been just long-standing members who have had so much impact um, throughout the church. And it's been heartbreaking. We even lost one of our elders suddenly to a heart attack 
a little over a month ago, and many are heartbroken here. You know, we've had to learn to embrace God in spite of what is happening around us. I've had to learn this lesson over and over again. And it comes from the passages like this that David wrote, learning to embrace God in spite of what is happening around him. You know, in in your life, is it going to be any different? Do we not all have to learn this lesson and embrace the challenge of really crying out to God? when things don't go the way we think they ought to. You know, after this, uh, David spares Saul's life again in 1 Samuel 24, and and then again in 1 Samuel 26, and and eventually he goes on to be confirmed as king, and he becomes the greatest king of Israel. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, meaning he pursues God's heart. He imitates God's heart. But all of this doesn't happen for a while. And what did David do? He kept writing Psalms and he kept walking with God. What if David didn't find strength in God? What if he didn't survive? Would we be blessed with the perspective that comes from these Psalms? I mean, does not your heart, you know, become a flame when you hear these Psalms? And it's through affliction that these things are written. We've got to learn to cry out to God. You know, one of my greatest moments as a Christian, now, there have been many great moments. One of my greatest moments was I was the campus minister for Carnegie, campus minister for Carnegie Mellon University um, in Pittsburgh. And I remember sharing my faith for months and months and, and people had come out to church, but I, I had this, this period of a, of a dry spell. And I remember being on campus on a Friday night and I prayed to find someone that I could bring to church on, on Sunday. And I remember praying and and reaching out and reaching out to this person and nobody was open. And I got so frustrated and I remember crying, crying out to God and praying this prayer and said, God, you brought me here to Pittsburgh. You want all men to be saved. You've got to do this. And I prayed this prayer that the next person that I meet will give me their name and number, that they will come to church on Sunday, that they'll study the Bible with me right then and there that they'll, they'll, they'll start to study the Bible, become a Christian within a month, that they'll go on to be faithful for the rest of their life and, 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 and be in the full-time ministry. After coming out of that prayer, the next person I saw, I completely chickened out. And I was like, okay, that wasn't on, that wasn't on you, God. That was on me. I'm sorry. The very next person I saw was a young man coming out of the science building and I, I started to invite him out to church and we had this great discussion and he said, yes, he would come. And he gave me his name and his number. And we were about to part ways. And I stopped and I said, you've got to study the Bible with me right now. And I, he, he needed to go, but I convinced him to study the Bible. And we went into the library. We studied the Bible for about a half an hour. He came to church this that Sunday. He started studying that Bible the following week. He got baptized within a month. He went on to go back to his home country in um, Singapore um, and he's been faithful since that, that, that time he's gotten married, has kids, and now he leads the church in Singapore. His name is Pua He. But I remember that prayer and how desperate I was for God to move and he moved. You know, what is God calling you to do right now? What is God calling you to be right now? What are you currently going through right now? Will you stay close to God and not only just survive, but thrive? 
And who will benefit from your perseverance with God? You know, all of us, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, we all need to find that kind of strength. God says, turn to me. I want to conclude our message today by reading a passage um, by David that he wrote after God had delivered him from Saul. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 5. The Bible reads here, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. A little bit later on in in verse 16 of the same psalm, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from my foes who are too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, when we walk with God, we will find strength in him. Henry Ford, you know, had this a really incredible quote is attributed to him. It says, those who walk with God always reach their destination. When we walk with God, we will reach our destination. We will be victorious over our enemies, usually within. We will be victorious over our light and momentary troubles. Fear will not be our masters and impatience will not be our response to the challenges. And when we find strength for God, we will find our destination, which is ultimately heaven, where we all want to be. At this time, my wife tomorrow will share her testimony in light of these scriptures. Thanks for listening. A big part in finding strength in God for me is believing that God wants to rescue me. To be honest, I've had doubts about that. It's not that I don't think that God is powerful enough, strong enough, or even smart enough to figure out how to help me, but I doubt whether he will want to help me. I used to think that God only showed up in my life the moment I want, wanted to study the Bible or when I was invited to a Bible discussion. And when I think about my life, I really see all the times that I've had a hard time believing that he was working through every part of it to rescue me, to teach me how to find strength in him. So my story starts in 1970 when I was born to parents who wanted to make the world a better place. Both my parents were feminists and civil rights activists. I remember my parents not wanting to buy me Barbies because they said they were not healthy representations of women. We all had Afros. My mom had the biggest and best one. I saw my dad, an African immigrant, struggle with the Pledge of Allegiance because he didn't believe the words were true for everyone. This may not have looked like an upbringing that would help me find strength in God and Actually, instead, I grew up believing that strength was not in religion, was not in faith, that faith was a weakness, 
Only humans can change their own condition, my father said. But I believe God used all this to show me the failure of humans to do just that. Because by the time I was 23 years old, I myself had failed to do this in my own life. My dad was an African immigrant in the United States, as I said, and it was his dream to return to Southern Africa to teach economics. In 1982, when I was 11 years old, that dream came true, and my parents, my brother, and I moved to Zimbabwe. I spent the rest of my childhood in Southern Africa, through middle school and high school. I didn't know what prom was. I had no concept of how any aspect of an American high school worked. I thought I was never coming back to the U.S., and it didn't matter. At the same time, deep down, I was confused about my identity. I wasn't American enough for Americans, and I wasn't African enough for Africans. Looking back, I can see now that God used this insecurity about my identity to help me find my security in him. Fast forward to college. My parents wanted me to go to college in the United States, so I left Southern Africa and lived in the U.S. feeling like a foreigner. After college and graduate school in Philadelphia, when I was crossing the street on campus, a student invited me to a Bible discussion out of the blue. For the first time, I learned about the Bible being God's own word spoken to help me. But the most memorable studies were about sin. Since I was so vain and arrogant, I never had seen myself as a sinful person. And yet I had committed almost all of the sins I read about in the Bible. Pride not thinking I had sin, looking down on other people who were less educated, trying to let, trying to not to let anyone see me fail or be weak, always needing to be the best, selfishness, doing whatever it took for me to get ahead and achieve, putting my own agenda first, cowardice, people-pleasing, being controlled by fear, especially fear of failure or rejection being afraid to take responsibility for my sin, deceit, lying to look good, leaving out important information that would make me look bad, impure thoughts and impure relationships. I confessed and talked about all these sins and so many more. I knew at that point I needed rescuing and the women listening didn't even look shocked. They didn't even treat me differently. That's when I learned that I could turn to Jesus and that he wanted me. He wanted to rescue me. I didn't need to come to him perfect first. He was the one to make me perfect. He used these women who first taught me the Bible to show me that I can change and that I can still be loved. So I made Jesus Lord of my life and was baptized in 1993 at 23 years old. This is just the beginning of my story with God. But here's what motivates me now to turn to him and find strength in him again and again. The fact that he showed me how to find him, even when I wasn't looking. That he was working to bring me to him since the day I was born. I used to think that God would disappear during my darkest times, that he had all the power to help me, but chose not to. But now I am convinced that God has always searched for me, always loved me. He was always working to rescue me, even on my worst day in God's family. This verse from Psalm 23 is still true. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am completely overwhelmed.
by the goodness and mercy of the Lord. You may not remember all the details of what I shared today, and that's okay. What I do hope you remember is this. God can use anything and anyone to find you or bring you back to him, and nothing can separate you from his love. Thank you. You know, brothers and sisters, I love my wife so very much uh, because of the way she fights to see God's loving hand in everything. But she's only following the example of faith and submission that Jesus set really for all of us to follow. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, this incredible description of how Jesus lived. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what was suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the example of Jesus. We see it with David, we see it with Jesus, and we can imitate that faith. As we take communion at this time, let's pray for our hearts to be in step with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus to embrace the challenges and submit to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your Word and the incredible stories and the incredible examples of men and women who, in spite of the challenges and circumstances, were able to overcome because of their reverent submission to you. We thank you for Jesus' example as he went to the cross. And Father, we're grateful for the way that uh, through his submission, it's opened up a whole new way of living for us. Thank you so much for that, God. And as we take this bread that represents Jesus' broken body, help us to remember the sacrifice that he made and be motivated to live lives worthy of that sacrifice. As we take this juice that represents his blood spilled for us, Father, help us not to live with guilty consciences, but to live in the light and to take the courageous steps to be open with our sin, to um, ask for forgiveness uh, from, from you, God, and from men, and to trust in your mercy and your grace uh, being abundant for us. We love you. We thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters in the Empire, it's been a pleasure being with you. Have a fantastic week and God bless.